Hey there, welcome to Strong Mind, Strong Body. I'm your host, Angie Miller, and today I want to talk to you about you, but not just you, but specifically the best you, the you that wakes up in the morning and something just feels amazing, and the whole day just seems to be a seamless day where everything goes just the way you planned. But we know that most days aren't like that or not all days are like that. But what does it really mean to feel self-optimized, to live at our optimal self, to be uh, to feel like everything is falling into place, to show up at our highest performing selves? And so how do we do that more consistently? How do we do that on a regular basis? And so I have a guest today. His name is Richard Jordan. He is the chief Flow Officer of Flow Life Solutions. Richard does a lot of work as a health and wellness consultant and as a corporate wellness specialist. And he's very renowned in helping individuals and teams work toward health optimization. Specifically, how do we imply or implement measures so that we can show up as our best self most of the time? So I'm going to bring in Richard and have him introduce himself because I'm so excited that he's here. How are you doing, Richard? I'm very well, Angie. How are you? I am doing very well. So let's see. Right now you are in Miami. Is that correct? I am. I'm in Miami right now on a little trip to the U.S. visiting family. All right. And before that, Saudi Arabia. Yes. That's where I spend the majority of my time. Okay. So Richard, I'm really impressed with the work that you do towards self-optimization and how you work with corporations. I know a lot of your work is working in the corporate wellness space. And really what I want to talk about today is how do we as everyday people, but also as personal trainers, group fitness instructors, coaches, how do we show up as our optimal selves, but how do we also help our clients? So I'm hoping that you and I can break that into some tidbits and takeaways so that everybody can walk away and say, okay, I've got some ways that I can feel my best most of the time. Does that seem possible? Absolutely. That's uh, that's the the work that's, that's worth working on, right? So I, I, I really think that obviously, as we know, there's not a one size fits all approach. And for personal trainers and anyone in the wellness industry, and including clinical professionals, the industry seems to be moving towards more of a uh, holistic caring culture where, you know, having the skill set to be able to listen empathetically and understand and meet the client where they're at in their life with their specific goals and dreams and objectives, and then tailor the, the pillars of health and wellness that, that are really skill sets. So I like to say that you know, health, wellness, nutrition, mindset, fitness, sleep optimization. These are all dynamic skill sets that have to be that have to be uh, drawn upon and even pivoted and modified based on the age and stage of life that you're in in order to meet the dynamic uh, demands of life. So without optimizing all of those as a system of systems, it's, it's hard to kind of only take one path towards that daily self, best self optimization. Yeah, well, and I like the way that you said that it starts with listening. It really starts by if I was your client, you listening to me and hearing about my life as it is now, as it is in status quo, and then hearing maybe through your lens, possibly as I'm talking to you, what's working, what's not working, 
And then thinking about, okay, if I meet Angie where she's at, how can I help her optimize her life by implementing these holistic pillars that are the same, so to speak, for everyone, but different in the sense that they are catered toward me and what I need and catered toward you and what you need. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about kind of, I think you call it like life performance and flow. And in order for us to show up as our highest performing selves as often as possible, whether we're a mountain climber or a CEO or a stay-at-home person, whatever we do in life, what's the first kind of um, holistic pillar that you talk about with your clients to help them optimize themselves? Uh, well, it's it's one of the hardest ones, which is is mindset. And of course, it's a broad category, right? So I mean, when you hear mindset, what does it mean? And it can be, you hear a positive and negative and scarcity and abundance, and also the beliefs that you hold to be true about really anything. So when it comes to your, your health and wellness, with, with, with clients, we, we have to really explore what's their, their dream, their purpose, where do they find meaning in their life? Maybe they need help with that too, right? And then really ask, try to get them to self-explore whether or not they're living in a way that's affirmative to that, right? So having an authoritarian approach as a health coach and like, this is how you have to work out and this is how you have to eat and this is the, the right way to sleep is, et cetera, is, is not necessarily... Um, the, the approach where we get the most the most success successful response from the clients. So it, it's 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 a lot of self introspection on the client side. We're kind of a guide on the side rather than the authority to get them to to really see how they can achieve those goals and objectives and dreams and passions and purpose and whatnot by optimizing those pillars of health so that they can show up more often better as their best self than not. Now, do, are we always going to have amazing days? No, everybody has good days and bad days, but we can have more good days and more high performance days. And that's what, that's what uh, as you were talking about, whether you're a mountain climber, a CEO, stay-at-home dad, a housewife, it really doesn't matter. You know, be feeling good, not really, um, let's say, suffering and medicating our way through some lifestyle-based diseases, getting out of our own way, et cetera, is really what it's all about. Well, and I think it goes back to the original thing that you said on the listening component. You're really not going to know where somebody is feeling optimal currently. You're not going to know their status quo unless you're really hearing their story. And people will tell us their story if we invite it in and we ask the right questions and we offer a safe space for them to tell it. So as they're talking about their mindset, what you're really hearing is, what is your true meaning and purpose in life? What do you most want to achieve? And then if I heard you right, you're saying, but are you living in alignment with that? Because a lot of times people will say things like, well, family is my biggest priority. And then you, you hear their story and you start to talk to them about their work day and you realize that they're going to work, they're leaving for work at five in the morning and they're getting home at six at night. To me, there's a disconnect then between family is the most important to me, but how many hours am I actually able to spend with family? So how can we level that out? If we can't change the amount of hours that we're working, my thing would be, well, then how do we make the time with your family most meaningful? Right. The quality of the time. And of course, I mean, in the day and age that we live into, I know you know this, we all work with a lot of uh, individuals who, who have time issues. It's, it's often an excuse that people 
lead with. I don't have enough time for my family. I don't have enough time for my sport of choice. I don't have enough time for my hobbies, et cetera. And of course, when we help them to, there's a time management life coaching aspect that goes in there to really kind of see where people are spending a lot of their distracted time. And we live in an era now where I'm, I'm sure there's never been such an era of distractions that kind of derail us from getting back to, to those things that make us come alive and that are important to us. And of course, we don't, uh, I had to learn this later in life, you know, it's, it's part of the journey, but we don't, we don't work on our health and wellness in order to get better at health and wellness. We work on it in order to get better at life and performance and be in the flow. So it's, it's, I think in order to get sustainability and compliance, which we know is, is, is often not good, whether it's with personal trainers, uh, their clients or physio, physical therapists, medical professionals, it's, it's like oftentimes a very low compliance rate because it's not being associated with their passions, dreams, goals, and purpose and where they find meaning. Mm. That was a really, that was so well said because we, I think we think that we go into fitness to get quote a healthier body, but we don't really realize that we get a healthier life. We get better relationships. We get, um, we feel better on the inside. We sleep better. We want to eat better. We feel more inspired. Um, it feeds off of itself. Positivity feeds off of positivity, just like negativity feeds off of negativity. So I think you're right. They have to see the connection between you're not going to the gym to get a buff body. You're going to the gym to impact your entire life and to have better, a better quality of life. So I like that. You always start with mindset then. Where do you go from there when you're talking about holistic pillars um, you're working with your clients? I, I move on to breath next. And I know it, this is pretty common in, in, in the industry. Um, now we understand that, you know, we take whatever, on average, 20,000 or so breaths a day. And each one sends a direct message to our nervous system about really how how we're doing, what's our environment like, or at least that's how it's uh, perceived internally. So most people, it, there's some data around this, but most people have what we call an inverted breathing pattern, right? They've lost the, the respiratory mechanics to be able to properly breathe from the diaphragm. They're taking short, shallow chest breaths while they're sitting watching Netflix. You know, there's nothing really wrong necessarily, but, um, but the message that it sends is very uh, sympathetic, right? From an autonomic nervous system standpoint. So people are living their life in this like slow, uh, constant drip of stress chemicals that are just coming from something so simple. But I say it's so simple. If it's the thing we're doing all the time. So when you try to correct it, there's, there's a lot of challenges with that, that people have to get through. Uh, we don't have time to get into all that now, but you know, it takes some time and you can't just hear, a podcast or watch one video on YouTube and find out why you need to do it and how to do it. And then you're, you're all good and ready to go. It has to be practiced. Like it, it needs to be practiced at times when you are not keyed up and amped up and stressed out so that when, um, when, you know, stressful things happen, you can, you can deploy the tools and also improve your digestion and also improve your heart rate variability, which is so important. I mean, there's so many reasons why breath is the sort of foundation of everything that we are as a living species. You know, I'm glad that you brought up breath because I have a lot of guests on this podcast and we talk about holistic pillars and we talk about ways to help our clients and <clears throat> seldom do we talk about breath. And, you know, I'm a yoga practitioner and teacher and, and, 
of course I practice breath in there and I, I train seniors. So I practice breath with them because I want to work on posture and I want to work on endurance and just so many other reasons why I work with breath. But I always say that short breaths make you spicy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when you learn how to breathe properly, just to your point, there's all these other areas of your life and your being that improves everything all the way, like you said, to heart rate variability. And I also appreciate that you said practice breath when you're not amped up because it's just like building habits when we need to employ the habits is when we're most challenged to employ them so we have to kind of turn breath into a habit if you will where we contextually understand what it feels like to breathe well so that we can implement it when it matters most um but i agree with you it'd be really hard to get into the whole breathing all the different types of breathing but i appreciate that you go to breath so you kind of start with with mindset and in the mindset, you go into purpose and meaning. You talk about breath. Where do you go from there? So the one that, uh, I mean, it's kind of a combination of nutrition and movement. But yeah, definitely, uh, you know, I, I go into the, the dreaded nutrition subject or everyone wants to throw tomatoes at me when I start opening up the idea of eating a real food diet. And there's always pushback. Nothing's real anymore. Everything's, and there's there's a lot of truth to to the, the quality, the poor quality of our foods these days. But um, we, we tend to get a lot of magic just from the one step of, of the, that real food approach. You know, I mean, if never mind which diet is the best at this point, never mind uh, it, the macros, all these things are important. But at first, getting someone to kind of look at their daily meals and ask themselves, does this look as really as close to the original source that this food could come from, whether it's plucked or pulled or caught or whatever. Does it look like that? Or does it look like something that, well, if you just arrived at planet earth, you wouldn't be able to identify where it came from. And when we, when we start to do that as a first step, again, 80, 20, nothing's hundred percent, getting people to make the right choices 80% of the time and, and having whatever they consider to be enjoyment and fun for now, which changes as time goes on. You know, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the, the next step usually. I think that the whole real food concept is, is amazing. And I think that's where the money is because we complicate nutrition and even being in this space for how many decades, I'm still so confused by nutrition. And I always <laughs> say that's not my area. Um, but that's exactly right. Just starting with real food, starting with the basics and not complicating it. How many packages do you have to open to get to it? <laughs> right. If you have to open a box and then open a wrapper within the box. Um, okay. You know, uh, so, and, and how good, do, how long does the food stay good? <laughs> yeah. you know? If it's been in your cupboard for a year and a half and it's still safe to eat it. I don't know. You, you might want to take a second look at that. So the concept of real food makes it simple. It's kind of like, well, what makes sense? What is more plant-based or what is less packaging? Um, what are some other ways that you describe real food? Those are the ones that come to my mind. Um, yeah, the, the, list, the list with items on it that you can't pronounce. You know, I mean, it's, it sounds silly to people when I say that, but I don't like... I can't even name them and I see them all the time, but you know, these, these additives and stabilizers and all these things that are designed, as you said, to make them last long on a shelf and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So if it has those in them, that would be the first red flag, you know, 
when you when you get a, a well these foods that we're talking about that fall into the real food category don't come with an ingredients list in the first place so if the majority of the stuff you're eating comes with an ingredients list you're already spending a lot of time in the wrong in the wrong uh, direction here when you have to google the ingredient i like that so um so richard i just want to reintroduce you um so my name is angie miller this is strong mind strong body and my guest today is richard jordan he's the chief flow officer of flow life solutions we're talking about self-optimization what are some holistic pillars to help us all increase our performance and what does it really mean to show up optimized as our best self as often as possible how do we do that because at the end of the day we all want to have more good dates than bad. So how do we make that happen for us so that we can help make it happen for our clients? So Richard, you've talked about mindset and you've talked about breath and nutrition. What else do you talk about with your clients to kind of build this pillar of health? Movement as you, you know, fitness and movement, you know, movement being a, a very common industry term these days for it because it's accurate, right? So and you mentioned posture, Angie, and I, I, I come from that industry, the musculoskeletal world is what pain and prevention and uh, pain management and, and prevention, et cetera. And the, the approach to movement that I, we try to impart on people now to change their mindset about it and understand that everything that we're doing is just a mimic, or it should be anyway, right? Where, where we go to the gym because we're not living the way we did for thousands of years. We're not pulling water out of wells. We're not chopping and carrying and, and hinging down for long periods of time, washing things in a river or whatnot, right? So, and um, sprinting after rabbits or, or running away from an animal. So all these things are need to be uh, in the approach to movement, right? But also mobility, this is, this is the most sedentary time humans have ever, uh, ever experienced. So making sure that we have good range of motion, good posture, posture, breathing and body mechanics all kind of go uh, together as a trifecta. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's a mind, it's a paradigm shift, as we know, the functional fitness industry and understanding, you know, what, uh, what helps us to arrive at optimal health from a lean muscle mass to body fat percentage and uh, as a ratio. And uh, the hormonal story there is just optimized from a health standpoint, if we can achieve that and also be pain free. The, I used to hear people all the time when I was working in Miami in, in, the, in that back and neck pain world, you meet somebody, they come in, they say that they have back pain. Or if we ask them, do you have any back or neck issues? They say, doesn't everybody? It's just a part of life. And of course, I don't mean to ever come across as insensitive. There are, there are reasons why people have uh, back and neck or musculoskeletal issues that aren't that aren't from prolonged postural stress, but the overwhelming majority is from prolonged postural stress. So taking care of that, just like we prioritize brushing our teeth, we need to take care of our joints, and uh, we need to make sure that we are our activities of daily living. Hopefully, until we leave this world at 120 years old, uh, that we are you know banging on all cylinders. You know what I'm saying? 
Well, and again, you're right. The movement is the key word because it's more about how do you move and how often do you move and, uh, and what is the quality of that movement? And that's where posture and breathing comes into play because if it's not quality movement, it probably doesn't feel good for them. It probably invites pain. And so therefore they don't want to do it. And so I think just to tell our clients to move is one thing, but to talk to them about posture and breathing is a whole nother thing. Um, and which is probably why I love training seniors because it's such a powerful thing to watch them shift their posture and then in fact to watch them breathe better and then in fact to watch them move better and feel better and to wake up with less pain and dysfunction and I think if that were to start at a younger age we would all age better to your point then we could all make it to that 120 years old right so um posture and breathing is everything and I think that it does invite better movement so, and just, again, just move throughout the day. It doesn't have to be a lot, but, uh, you know, as much as possible. So you, you talk about movement. I'm going to guess, I know where you're going to go next. Um, that, that nemesis of mine that every time someone brings it up, I go, Oh, don't make me feel bad, but sleep. Right. That's it. And I guess, I guess uh, we could say sleep and recovery, we could put it, the two together, but really I think the focus needs to be on sleep specifically because um, I, like to, I like to think of it as, a, you know, sleep is not how we end our day, it's how we start it. And that's one mindset thing that I, I try to get people to really change. Like, you know, you don't wanna burn yourself out and exhaust yourself uh, all day long so that you can lay your head on the pillow and knock out. It's, it's, it's more that, the quality of your sleep each and every night is going to determine to a huge degree the quality of your day and of course your blood sugar and your and your blood pressure and your we can get into like ghrelin and leptin and fat fat storage i mean there's so many interesting things around around uh, sleep and sleep quality um but just like with everything else in modern times it's like we we live in cultures that that glorify pushing and and burning the candle at both ends and I'll sleep when I'm dead and all this kind of stuff. And it's, um, it's a shame. And a lot of people have become uh, very compromised in their uh, sleep. And you, you hear it all the time. I'm not a morning person. Usually that's a sign of, of a need to fix one's sleep uh, behaviors, sleep hygiene, all the things that lead up to sleeping well on a regular basis happen from the time you open your eyes in the morning. And the only time, as we all know, the only time that our physical tissues of our body and our brains, everything, uh, reasoning, sh uh, short-term memory converted to long-term memory and, and the glymphatic system, the cleaning out of the beta amyloid in the brain, which could lead to degenerative, uh, mental degenerative diseases in some cases, all these things happen only really at one time and that's when we're sleeping. So if you're eating amazing, Right. You got a great relationship with food and you've got a great fitness program going on and and uh, you got great social bonds and 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 you're meditating and all that. Most likely you'll sleep well anyway, if you're that person. But if you're that person, but you don't sleep well on a regular basis, you're not prioritizing that relationship with sleep. You will not arrive to, you know, your optimal self and your best self and your and your healthiest self. It's just not possible. 
Right. Well, you know, I think I need to start dating sleep and take my relationship with sleep a little <laughs> bit more seriously. Sleep and I need to go on some healthier dates. Let's put it that way. You know, Richard, I have a question for you. All this invites some thoughts because I know you do a lot of work in corporate wellness. And I'm sure you could say a lot about the state of corporate wellness in the world today and the importance of corporate wellness. Um, and I'm curious about that. Like, I guess one of the questions that comes to my mind is, you know, we talk a lot about how somebody can be successful in one area. So you can be successful in your work, but you may not feel successful in movement or, you know, it goes to that self-efficacy, which is, which is basically uh, situation specific. I might have high self-efficacy at work, but you might take me to a gym and I'm like a fish out of water. And so when you're working with, you had mentioned to me, you know, that corporate wellness, that whole um, state of corporate wellness, why is it so important and how is it impacting our world today? That's a big question, but I wonder if you can address that. Yeah, um, I think my answer might sound a little oversimplified, but I, I always like to think of it as those employed individuals spend more awake time at work than they do with at home with their loved ones. Awake time. I'm not saying, obviously, it's not necessarily more time, but awake time, right? So if you're spending most of your waking hours per week uh, working around in individuals that you don't particularly love and around a lot of stress and deadlines and um, sedentary postures and just all these, all these things that really, if you wrap up everything we've talked about so far, work can either make or break the health and wellness from a mental, physical, and spiritual standpoint of, of each individual that's, that, that, that has a job, right? So it becomes, it becomes incumbent, it has become incumbent on, on uh, the senior level of, of, of organizations to move towards more caring cultures, especially, and like in my market, uh, there's, a, there's a, a rapid increase in office space. I mean, the multinational corporations are expanding. The United States is, is no different, but you know, any, any place where that's a reality, it's, uh, it really needs to be an employer-sponsored, there needs to be an employer-sponsored program that helps to, helps to promote healthier behaviors for their employees and maybe even their families. Some of them do that, right? Because again, it's where we're spending our lives. Right. Well, it's interesting because my husband works for a company and I remember years ago him saying that they, um, that I, they had a meditation room and I was like, oh, does anyone go in there? He's like, never seen anyone in there. And so I think that that's how it started out. I think in a lot of corporate environments, word on the street was we have to take more care of our employees. We have to make sure our employees are doing well, taking care of themselves. But there was no real commitment to that or no, no real, gee, how do we go about doing this? And, and, you know, to that point, look at the fitness space. We're still only hitting 20% of the general market. We still haven't figured out how to get that 80% into the gym. So of course, corporate America is struggling with this. And when we say corporate America, I mean everything. My daughter works for a resort and um, she works in marketing and events. And at the age of 20 something, she's so overworked and has no quality of life. And ironically, she's hosting events to bring people joy. So a lot of times those people in hotel and restaurants, the um, 
people to you in corporate America and all corporate environments are the, the ones that are providing services are the ones that need services. So I think there's a big space for us in fitness to get into the corporate setting and say, we can help you. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, you're very right. Uh, I started when I started in, in really in 2015, where I started going into the corporate sector with uh, personal trainers and um, it, it was, um, is very successful, but the ones that, as we've been talking about, the ones that were able to do it are the ones who can be flexible in their own uh, approach. So the the framework is there for corporate wellness, because as you also mentioned, a lot of companies just don't know where to start or what to do. So I think anyone in the fitness industry that wants to be, there's a lot of opportunity. It is a, if you look at how much of a, uh, the worth is like, billions and it's by 2030 it's supposed to be like exponentially larger it's a huge industry and to go in though and and know how to listen to what the needs of the organization are because each one's going to be different is that's a skill set that wasn't going on in the 90s when corporate wellness was just events based but now you have to be able to go in hear what they what they need what kind of data do they want to collect? Know how to navigate that data. Maybe you need to collaborate with a clinician to help you with that. And, and also ask the employees what they want, like what would be meaningful to them, not go tell them. We're not, we're not here to do wellness to you. You know, we want, we, want to, we want it to be done for them. And then that's also why setting the tone at the top and getting the senior level bought in so that they're visible in the program so that they, the, the employees feel like it's truly becoming part of their culture is so important. I don't know if that answers your question. No, 100% does. And I like the way that you said, go back to the listening. Meet with the people who can implement the program ask them what they need, what kind of data they want, but then also invite them to talk to their employees or invite them to give you the opportunity to, to pull their employees or talk to their employees and say, what do their employees actually need? And that's going to be very individual. But I think for any type of corporation, whether it's hotel and restaurant, whatever the industry is, the key is, is that there has to be buy-in so that it's not just a room that's sitting there, like there's a fitness room, but you know, I dare you to go in there and take time out of your day because you might be judged. There needs to be the buy-in that it actually matters and that it ties into increased productivity. Um, it's like I work for an employee assistance program and we have data to support that when we provide emotional support and assistance, that productivity goes up. And we use that data to say, we need to provide these mental health services if you really want good productivity and outcomes for your employees. Yeah. Um, productivity and also, uh, you know, presenteeism, right? Um, this is a, a, a big uh, issue and there's some interesting data out there for people to go look at, but this, this um, presenteeism where your people are showing up certainly less, less than optimal in their, in their, in the way that they're feeling about themselves, about life and, and a lot of things uh, maybe have some, some of the chronic illnesses that are getting in their way. And so they're showing up to work, but they're not, they're not their best selves, which is more, it drags down the bottom line in the end more than than absenteeism so it's and the the disengaged employees and what's known as actively disengaged the ones who become sort of you know so so in that bad 
space that they're that they're that they're almost a, 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 a toxic to the to the environment at work. Um, all these things are so important as far as what drives what we're doing, and um, yeah, I mean that's it's um, it's 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 uh, as far as success of these programs. What we normally see is that, and this is what I hold myself accountable to. We just want participation. We don't want the empty room, right? We don't want the empty fitness room or the empty meditation room or, you know, we, what we want is to come up with meaningful uh, programs that at least in year one, get 25% uh, participation. It doesn't have to be in one thing. It could be multiple programs, but you got employees, 25% of the workforce uh, in, engaged. And then by year two, you want to try to hit 50%. And only by the third year, do you even want to start talking about the bottom line and what's the return on the investment and all these types of things. So, but if you get that participation going, it, it just, it, it kind of comes together. It's, it's if you've got a good program to deliver anyway. Mm. So I like that the focus versus on participation and increasing participation. Cause I imagine that it's harder to track the other, um, how much that's affecting productivity, so forth. But I like also the presenteeism and how it's one thing we can not be absent, but we can still not be present. <laughs> so, because there's a big leap between I'm present or I'm not absent, but I'm actually present in a part of this organization and these conversations that are taking place and my commitment to it. But I also think that the opposing side of it is look at the destructive behaviors that happen. Look at the relationship discord when somebody is putting in so many hours that their family life is so deeply impacted. And so relationship discord that leads to divorce and breakups talk about a killer of productivity. So I I think that helping employers see it, not through the, gee, I'm going to scare you tactic, but also reminding them that there's a lot more ways to look at productivity, right? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you said it well. I don't know if I have anything to add on to that. It's, <laughs> it's uh, the fear thing, you know, again, back to, back to whether it's corporate wellness or whether it's individual wellness, right? Um, mo trying to do it uh, from an extrinsic fear-based approach rather than to ourselves as well as to the employees in a corporate wellness uh, arena, the intrinsic, you know, the intrinsic part, which requires organizations to sometimes really step out of the comfort zone to, to uh, engage with employees like that. And then instead of trying to change by fear or by negative motivators, you change because of gratitude, right? Gratitude for yourself, gratitude for, for the faculties that you have, and also just kind of getting the employees to understand that however they see the rest of their life, whether it's the, the last 10 years of their life, whenever they, whenever that is for them, that they don't want to be, they, they want to be mobile, they don't want to be suffering and medicating, they want to have a good quality of life, that starts now, and we're here to support you with that yeah, journey. I like that a lot. And I think that's a great way to kind of close the show. And I think also I wanted to tie in corporate wellness because really my, my goal with that is to say that a, there's a lot of opportunity for, for health wellness pros and coaches, but also to remember that most of our clients are living in that space. 
And so we can be saying these things and driving these motivators, but then they have a lot of pull in these other areas. So having some compassion and empathy for this is a real struggle. So how do we provide solutions and help them feel successful? So Richard Jordan, I'm so happy that you came on. I'm so happy you shared your expertise. I love the work that you do. And um, thank you for sharing everything you know with our Strong Mind, Strong Body audience. Thank you so much for having me, Angie. It was a great pleasure. You bet. And thanks to all of you who are listening. Um, thanks for joining Strong Mind, Strong Body. Let me know if you have any questions or any ideas for future episodes or information that you'd like to know. And we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.